Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello, and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, many of us have been there. We walk out of an appointment with our child's doctor or teacher, and we feel concerned. And a whole host of other feelings, from fear to anger to sadness, confusion, and of course, love. We all hope that our children are healthy and cruise through life fairly unscathed. So when reality hits, And we hear that our child has maybe a common challenge like ADHD or a learning disability or more severe challenges like feeding issues or asthma or food allergies, anxiety and depression, we can become alarmed as we may flip into roles beyond the typical parent and caregiver to medical scheduler or diagnosis researcher or health advocate or more, we may find that money and time and access and the feeling of calm is in short supply. So what can we do to cope with and talk with our kids about challenging medical diagnoses and how to proceed through life with one. For this, we turn to Dr. Kelly Fraden. Dr. Kelly Fraden is a pediatrician, mother of two, and child advocate based in New York City. As a director of pediatrics at Atria Institute, Dr. Fraden was inspired to become a doctor because of her experience surviving childhood cancer. A graduate of Harvard College and Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, she's dedicated her career to caring for children with complex medical conditions in many situations, including academic clinics, private practice, inpatient units, and schools. She shares realistic and empowering parenting advice and children's health information on her Instagram account, which is at advice I give my friends, which continues to grow. Welcome, Dr. Fraden, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and addressing this important topic. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. Congratulations on your new book, Advanced Parenting. Um, Now, Advanced Parenting, it's Advanced Parenting, Advice for Helping Kids Through Diagnosis, Differences, and Mental Health Challenges. And before we get into talking about your book, which I did read cover to cover, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you and read your book or or your articles or see you speak, what lights you up and what has gotten you on this path of talking to parents and kids about navigating these medical challenges? Yes. So it's a real passion of mine to to support parents better. I I find that, you know, as a parent myself and a friend to many, 
parents, people are always reaching out to me asking questions that they can't seem to get the answer to in more traditional settings, whether it's 15 minute doctor's appointments that never allow you to get all the information you want, or whether it's, um, you know, reading articles on, on the news that are relatively inflammatory and then, then saying, wait, what does this mean? And how do I interpret what this means for my family? So, so I'm interested in kind of bridging the gap between, um, between all the medical and health information out there for children and, and where parents are sitting. So, so that's what led me to start the Instagram account sort of inspired by all the questions my friends asked. I said, the advice I give my friends is just the kind of thing I talk about there. And, um, and as a pediatrician, you know, one of the biggest gaps and the most concerning gaps has been that, you know, when you give a diagnosis to a family, something like food allergies, you know, you leave the parent alone to figure out how to reconcile all of that with their day-to-day life. And doing so makes a big difference in the child's care. And I, I just don't think parents should have to do it alone, which is mm. kind of what inspired me to write the book. Well, excellent. I'm I'm so appreciative of that. And you have personal experience with being a patient as a young person who had cancer uh, in kindergarten. And I'm curious how that's informed you as a pediatrician who is also helping parents navigate some of these tough medical challenges. Absolutely. It was a very formative experience for me. One, because I had a lot of great role models, these amazing doctors, and was inspired by the potential to have that kind of impact. But even more importantly, I saw the impact of my diagnosis on the rest of my family. Mm-hmm. You know, it impacted my parents' job choices. And it impacted their marriage. It impacted my parents' health, their physical and mental health. And it, 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 it opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, children don't exist in, in isolation, right? They're part of a family unit. And and we need to talk about um, that context when we help a child, because, you know, the same a a child with asthma in one family may require a totally different plan of care than a child with the same diagnosis in a different family. Mm. Like the priorities and the context of what matters to them, you know, it, it, it totally changes the, the plan and, and what should be the right answer to the questions. So, so that is sort of how, how it Mm -hmm. influenced me. And I will say the other, the other thing I've learned as a patient is that we don't make it easy at all. Um, you know, even as an adult trying to go to all my follow-up appointments about all the little health things I have to address in my preventive health, it's very time consuming. It's very expensive. It's very inconvenient. It's very inefficient. And we're not, you know, it, it makes me sad as a, as a physician that we haven't found ways to make it easier to access good healthcare, but mm-hmm. it's partially because I know that it's so hard that I, I, I feel it's so important to try to help as much as we can. So what would you say in your experience as a patient was maybe one of the biggest mistakes that you're trying to avoid now being on the opposite side? And what would you say is the biggest benefit or thing you would like to repeat as a physician now dealing on the flip side? Yes. 
So there have definitely been times in my life as a cancer survivor, you may not know, but, but when you survive childhood cancer, you're often left with kind of a laundry list of you're at higher risk for skin cancer. So you see a dermatologist, you're at higher risk for, for colon cancer. So you have to get a colonoscopy early and all this healthcare maintenance stuff. And when I was in my twenties and early thirties and in medical school and starting a family, it was very um, tempting to dismiss the preventive healthcare and not make it a priority and not make time for it. And I think that is, is generally speaking a mistake, but the Mm. fact that even even me with my knowledge of how important it is, uh, still made those decisions. I mean, I think that, that we all have seasons of life where we're more attuned to our health and well-being, or that of our children. And we have to be kind to ourselves when we do, do choose other, other ways to spend our time. We, sometimes we have to work, you know, Mm -hmm. more on our job or our children might want to be more invested in their friendships or play than their preventive health. And, and that's just, Part, part of life, but definitely a mistake to not prioritize the prevention. I think the, the biggest success um, in my experience and the thing that I, I think had the biggest impact was that my mom was very empowered to, to advocate for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I think a lot of the doctors, uh, they were a little bit scared of her because she wasn't scared to challenge them. She wasn't scared to ask hard questions. She wasn't scared to get second and third opinions. Um, you know, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, um, I was in a rural hospital and they didn't have, you know, imaging or pediatric surgeons and they, they thought I had appendicitis. And then they thought my mom might've been, um, abusing me and leading to internal bleeding. They totally missed the cancer. Um, and my mom was like a fierce advocate, even then in following her gut that this facility didn't have what they needed to take care of me. You know, she snuck me out of the hospital and drove me to a children's hospital a few hours away. And I think that bravery and that advocacy is something that every parent can, um, model when it comes to their children that, you know, you shouldn't, um, if it's something you really believe is important to your child, you should always speak up about it and continue to seek out other opinions until you find an answer that makes sense to you and your family. Wow. She snuck you out of the hospital, but like throw a coat over your head and went or <laughs> what does that I mean? guess, I guess <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine that she did that or that that would go over very well today. I'm sure there would be like a lot of child yes. protective services. Calls exactly. Me. Exactly. That's amazing though. So you've talk about how young people can have vivid, vivid imaginations and that they often ask tough questions. So when your child has a new diagnosis and you would like to talk to them about it, what would you say are the most important parts or steps or things to consider when having that very sensitive conversation? Well, the, the first thing I'll say is, is that as a parent, I think many times we're tempted to avoid the conversation. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. We want to protect our child from hard things. We want to wait until we have more certainty or clarity about what's going on before we have a conversation. But the truth of the matter is that children are very observant. And they often know that something is different or something mm-hmm. is wrong. You know, the, 
the body language of the parent, the the whispers between the grownups, the extra doctor's appointments, often children know, and sometimes you can even see that stress impact children with their sleep or with their behavior. They may act out more because they sense something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage parents to communicate earlier rather than waiting, because that even if even if the answer is, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out by asking the right people for help. And, and we have a plan to, to get more information. And I'll update you soon. You know, that, that can make a child feel safe and that can make a, a child feel um, like they're a part of the team and that they're, they're, they have some control. And it also invites children then to ask follow-up questions because it's better that they ask than that they worry or stew on their own. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Thank you for that. Uh, You know, when it comes to talking to kids about tough topics, which we talk about obviously all the time here, we do find that parents often will delay and delay. And I appreciate what you're saying here that that children can get a sense and a pre-sense that something's going on. And because they have such vivid imaginations, they can actually go to a darker place and wonder if something even more profound is happening to them um, or somebody that they love. And by talking to them, we put them in a little bit more control, even though it's out of our control. It makes them feel a little bit more in control, at least knowing what you know in the way that would be appropriate for that age group. Is that, is that the kind of thing you're, you're relaying here? Exactly. Exactly. And, and the other thing I would say is that, um, that sometimes it can help a child's self-esteem to give them that internal script. Sometimes I see children who may be having a learning disability or attention issues in school impacting their learning. And they can tell that it's coming easier to other kids or that other kids are are succeeding more academically than they are. So to give them a script such as everybody learns at different rates or every brain works differently and we'll find the best way to support your learning together, it it can help um, it can help them extraordinarily so. Mm. I would also say with regards to developmental disabilities or even weight issues, children, you know, if they're if they're very thin or maybe a little heavy for their age, they may start to come up with messages of how they're thinking through this. And as a parent, it's a gift to give them a message that's positive and constructive rather mm-hmm. than what they glean from from other children or the media potentially. Mm-hmm. So if a child was in your situation, they, they have a, a medical diagnosis that is really scary to parents, how would you suggest that a parent approaches some kind of larger medical issue with a child? Is that something that they should be doing with the doctor or is it something that they should start on their own when they get the call from the doctor that this is the diagnosis? How should they proceed in starting that initial conversation? 
Yes. I, I do think it, if you're wanting to be thoughtful about it, asking the doctor or the educator, uh, you know, involved, what they recommend is a great first step. I think um, the way in which you proceed also reflects your child's development. And it's worth, worth noting that a child um, who's younger or a child who has a tendency to get very anxious and, and worry a lot about things, those children, maybe when it's something specific, like an upcoming surgery, they don't necessarily need to know two months in advance. Right. There's, um, you know, is say your child's having frequent ear infections and has to have surgery about it. Um, you may say, you know, this ear, nose and throat doctor is going to help us um, come up with a plan so you don't get as many ear infections, mm -hmm. but you might not say you're going to have surgery in three months because mm -hmm. that's a long time and they're not actually going to gain anything by knowing that that's coming in the future. Mm -hmm. um, so you might wait until, uh, you know, a week before when you're maybe getting the, the testing arranged or something, when, when, mm -hmm. when it, it, something they can wrap their head around right. to then inform them. Cause I have seen sometimes children will, when given too much headway, will worry more because yes. it's just, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Right. Okay. Okay. Now, once they, these kids have been diagnosed, especially with something that is chronic or something that is going to take a long time to address like a cancer or chronic or something that they're going to be dealing with for their life, a developmental delay or severe asthma, a food issue, we know from your book that it's not sustainable to live in an emergency mode and that kids and adults can flip into burnout when they do live there. So what in this case does burnout really mean and how can we step back when our child has a medical diagnosis like that, keep from living in emergency mode and leave room for living and enjoying life. Yes, I, I think it's such an important issue. I, I do find that because these health issues are often unexpected, it's not something we plan for to leave, you know, hours of our week devoted for taking care of a chronic condition. And right. so often one of the very basic things is to, to accept the reality of the, the, time considerations, think about the schedule. So sometimes it, it's not uncommon that I have children who, who, um, you know, maybe they are recommended to have OT and PT and see a specialist and see another specialist. And, and all of a sudden it's like running into their nap time, or there's not a day in a week when they can have a play date with another child. And mm -hmm. so sometimes it starts with the parent confronting that reality and then talking with the the doctor about like where they're supposed to cut back or what can they put off or how can they make time for their child mm -hmm. to have the play date and to have the protected sleep that will support them in their development because sometimes those hard choices have to be made and I think that's great to prevent the burnout I think it just as adults we're terrible about taking medication every day. The simple act of taking medication every day is really hard. Um, so when I talk to 
patients in my practice about this, I often encourage them to tie it um, to part of the routine that that is already in place. Mm -hmm. I have had kids who keep their asthma inhaler right by their school shoes. And so they remember to use it in the morning before they go to school or kids who who keep the pill bottle next to their toothbrush if they have to take a medication at night and and things like that. That can be a helpful helpful role. But what what goes along with this is that the parent still has to, even when a child is able to start taking on their responsibilities of you know, doing their care, a parent still has to supervise and support that work. So mm-hmm. what, what the unfortunate reality is that sometimes the first couple of weeks of a new routine go pretty well because of the novelty, but that burnout starts to set in um, when it's been a few weeks and the novelty wears off and it's really just hard to, to keep up the motivation to continue putting the effort in. Mm-hmm. And that's often when the parent has to get creative and, and troubleshoot the specifics. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you talk about using coping skills to deal with some of this burnout, to deal with the heaviness of what's going on from, you talk about mantras and positive self-talk and guided imagery and motivational interviewing. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of these types of coping mechanisms and how we can implement them with ourselves and our kids when things go sideways? Yes. I I think that it's really great to um, first learn to use them as adults, right? Because, because parents can be such effective role models for their children. And um, it's, it's funny because so many of our children are being exposed to the term growth mindset in school. Mm-hmm. And it's something that not a lot of parents have grown up with. Right. So, so I think that embracing the growth mindset when you're, you know, learning from your children, how to think about it for yourself can be really helpful as a caregiving parent to say, you know, this is really hard and I haven't figured this out yet. Or like, I, I don't know what we're going to do yet. Like Mm -hmm. to, to understand that, like something can be difficult in the moment without that meaning, it's always going to be difficult that there's potential for growth. There's potential for improvement. You're not, not alone in facing this. And so, um, so talking positively to yourself mm-hmm. about the challenging moments and sometimes um, talking out loud because your children will internalize the way you talk through it. So say you're at a doctor's office and it's a 45 minute wait, but you know, the doctor's running late and you're frustrated because you have other things you want to do with your day. So, you know, you can say, oof, I'm feeling very frustrated. I, I need to, to move my body to calm down a little, like let's go for a walk um, or let's get some fresh air while we wait a few more minutes. And, and then by modeling this kind of coping, um, you can, can show your child how to respond when they feel the same way, or, mm-hmm. you know, the importance of rest or, or the use of music or humor or relaxing activities are all things that we can model as parents and teach our children, our children to use as tools to feel better mm-hmm. in stressful circumstances. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So given all of the things that we've discussed today, what would you say is your top tip? If you could leave us with one tip to take away about raising kids who have developmental or medical challenges, what would you say that would be? 
I think I think the most important thing is to remember that you're not alone in supporting your child. And while you have a lot of things on your plate, one of the most important things is figuring out who is going to help you and how they're going to do so. Because in the long run, having that wide base of comprehensive support, both for your child and yourself, is going to make it sustainable and improve the quality of the care your child gets. So don't Mm -hmm. be scared to ask for help and to be open with those in your community about what you're dealing with. I think it's really hard for people because it, it can feel for a parent so much like a failure to need help. You know, like you watch all these people and they've got it. And then that's what we're saying in our heads, right? They've got it. They're doing it. I need to, I need, this is my responsibility. At the end of the day, I'm accountable here. So I'm just going to block everybody else out, right? Cut those ties, disconnect, and just do what I have to do. And then we run ourselves ragged. We do experience burnout. And then at the same time, we're feeling disconnected from other people who clearly in our minds don't understand, can't possibly understand what we're going through. What would you say to the parent who's thinking that while you're speaking? about asking for help. Yes. Uh, You know, I think this is a terrible cycle of, I I don't think anybody else will get it. I don't think anybody else um, will understand. So I'm not going to tell anyone and then they won't get it and they won't understand and they won't know how to help. So, so the only way to break that cycle is, is to be kind of brave and overcome the hesitancy to open up. And what I would say is that you know, you look at the statistics that like one third of children have chronic health challenges in this country. And, and that's like a snapshot. That doesn't mean that somebody had one, you know, a year ago or will have one next year. And and the truth is whether you're facing the same challenge or not, it doesn't really matter. Like the, the experience of going through um, and supporting your child who has a developmental delay in getting all the therapies it, it shares a lot in common with, you know, a child who later is having a mental health struggle. And so, so you can't assume just by looking at another child that their parents can't relate. It's very mm-hmm. possible that they can. And in fact, like when I've talked uh, to strangers about this book um, in passing, almost everyone has said like, oh, I know somebody who really needs this. And the truth of the matter is most people if they're not dealing with it directly, they're one click away from someone Mm -hmm. who is. And so, you know, that's not to say that you won't encounter someone who's insensitive or, or who says the wrong thing or who doesn't really get it. It, There are those people out there too, and we all know them. Um, But that comes from their own kind of ignorance or their own misunderstanding. Typically Mm -hmm. it it doesn't come out of, um, of a place of, of judgment. It just, it's just, that's how I think about it at least. But I, I, I always think that if you, if you're open to it and if you can open up to people in your community or to family members and keep them more informed about what you're going through, you might be surprised by the support you can gain from that. What would you say to a parent who is hearing what you're saying and feels feels that 
when they are looking out at other parents and their kids that they feel a longing for the life that they thought they were going to have and don't have it because their child has a medical diagnosis that prevents them from participating in the soccer games or you know getting involved with the band um, or their child has a developmental delay that keeps them from being with the friends their age. How would you counsel those people who are listening in today? First, I would say that it's it's a very common experience. I think it's something people don't talk about a lot because there's a hesitancy because you can love your child very fiercely and and dislike some of the logistics of being their parent and supporting them. Like you can both, you know, delight in your child and adore them and love them and find joy in them and have a hard time with some of the parts of parenting them. I mean, that's true. Parenting is not always like rainbows and unicorns and, and social media, I think in some ways makes that worse because there's not always, although I will say, I do think it's increasing um, people putting themselves out there more in terms of having a dialogue about the ups and downs and the, the, the sort of real experience of parenting, but, but it's okay to have those mixed feelings. It's expected and you aren't alone in them. Other people have them too. I would say it's okay to, to grieve something that you thought you were going to have and don't have. That's okay. And sometimes if you really feel stuck in that, you know, you might need to consider working with a therapist to work through those feelings of grief. Um, And, you know, or if you don't feel like it's so severe as to warrant therapy, you can also try to find, you know, support groups of other parents who might be dealing with the same things. And sometimes social media for all the misinformation or trouble on social media, it can connect people um, in a safe way to other people who are feeling the same thing. So sometimes that might be another avenue to look for support. Excellent. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and the work you're doing? So I'd love it if people would come visit me you know, on Instagram or Facebook. I'm at advice I give my friends. Um, and I have a website to advice I give my friends.com. And I hope they'll check out the book and let me know what they think. Uh, you know, it was an ambitious project and I'm really eager to, to see how people, um, how people receive it. And I hope they find it helpful. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today and talking to us about this really important topic. I think you're right. There's many things that we often don't discuss and need to, some things that we need to discuss with children and some things that we need to discuss with colleagues and friends and therapists to help us through and deal with some of these issues that uh, medical challenges present to us. So um, I appreciate what you've said and I appreciate how you've educated us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com. I'm on Twitter under Dr. Robin. I'm on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'm trying my way on TikTok. And I'm going to be going back and forth with Dr. Freyden this whole week, talking about her book, talking about this podcast, talking about 
these very topics that we discussed during this podcast, ask your questions, talk about it under each post and, and let's get it out in the open. Uh, I'm also going to be creating memes of some of the great things Dr. Fraden said. We're going to put those quotes right up there and you can share them with your friends. Maybe a subtle hint to open things up, open up this discussion. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. I can't tell you how much those five-star reviews mean. Yes, it's always nice to see a five-star re uh, review, but it also helps to push the podcast out there so that more people can hear the podcast, hear about Dr. Fraden, hear about Dr. Fraden's book, and get all of that information out there to the right people as well. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to the drrobinsilverman.com page. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. I know this is hard. You're here and you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget that parenting often provides that tomorrow, that ultimate do-over. I see you and I'm right there with you. Maybe you heard something today and you realize I need to have this discussion with my child or I need to be a good friend and reach out to that parent who I know has a child who has a medical diagnosis, and I know could probably use some help. Reach out, ask for help yourself. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.